can't script out the spirit. You and I have to fall on our knees. Our neighbor will never convert unless you and I will fall on our knees. Otherwise, Catholicism is an ideology. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization. I'm Mike Gomer Gormley, and I'm joined, as always, by my delightful co-host, Dave Skull Crusher Van Vickle. How are we doing, Dave? <laughs> it's too early. He couldn't come up with a, a better one. No, I'll take Skull Crusher. Come on, Skull that's Crusher. Cool. It's like straight out of a, a monster truck rally. All right. Well, I'm not, that's not, I'm not really one of those guys. I'm not like a hyper, hyper-masculine, like, redneck-type Monster no, but guy. the reason why I thought of it is because you mostly do your work on Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. <laughs> I love it. Also not true. But hey, I, I'm dying to tell you a, a story, a funny yeah, this story. This is so what, funny. Dave refused to tell me beforehand. Yes, because, I, because I'm so excited for them to hear it too. So, so, um, so the best thing ever, I, I, so I did like a bunch of speaking one weekend in the Diocese of Allentown, Pennsylvania. So like Love the, Allentown. Love oh, really? Allentown. Okay, so yeah. you know that place. Okay, so great place, coal country, okay? And um, I, like the director of evangelization for the diocese, hired me to do a bunch of different things there, okay? So Friday afternoon, I met with like the bigwigs at the diocese and talked with them about evangelization. That was all good. But then Saturday morning, I did like a parish volunteer retreat. I have never been to a parish that was bigger fans of our podcast than this place in my life. It was so awesome, but then also horrifying. Because let me tell you what happened. I felt so awful, Gomer, and I feel like this is your fault. No, well, it's really not your fault, but I'm going to blame it on you. Fair enough, fair enough. So this pastor is amazing. He listens to our our podcast. This is, say, John the 23rd in, like, Tamaqua, PA, and... We like what, for what? this for part of this retreat. So they had like the first thing was like praise and worship, which I was excited about. You know, it's always nice to start out like that. So the pastor gets up and he's the one who's leading praise and worship, which I thought was awesome. Okay. <laughs> so he pulls out his guitar and everything. And he talks about how he listens to the podcast. I was like, this place is amazing. You know, I love this place, you know. And then they go to give me my check and he's like, well, I know we agreed on something. You'll see it's a little more because, you know, I heard the episode about Catholic traveling evangelists, (laughs) and I felt bad about it. I felt so awful. I was like, oh, Father, I'm so sorry that that happened. You felt guilted into giving me a little bit more, but it was awesome. And they're, they're doing such great stuff at this parish. Like, you... You could just tell, like, I was there kind of like as icy on the cake. It wasn't like an impetus. They're already doing the good stuff, you know, that they're supposed to be doing. But it was so fun. I was like, I, I don't know why we did that episode. <laughs> you know, it'd be funny if as he's handing it to you, all of a sudden the choir in the background starts singing, turn the page. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. As a swift so- pulls down your body <laughs> like the evangelization that you play. <laughs> so oh, man. A- that so what is funny. You? Is, is your uh, is your year getting busier or slowing down right now? Huh. No, um I I have it for the rest of this year at a, a pretty even keel when it comes to traveling. Um I just got back from Canada. So in, in October I dipped down a little bit whereas you ramp up right. typically. But um I signed up for this parish mission in October that was right smack dab in the middle of the week. Usually my parish missions are Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. 
And uh, but I was filling in for something that kind of fell apart, and so I fly up to Saskatoon. Dave, can I tell you something? You know how like Canadians are very polite. Yeah. Oh yeah. That does not apply to their border security, <laughs> and uh, really? at all, at all, at all. Wow. And uh, so I go there. And we had mechanical failure flying from Houston to Calgary. So we're already like 45 minutes behind. So I land and I need to make a connecting flight to Saskatoon, right? And just imagine, I'm, as I'm saying this, turn the page is playing in the background. Uh, I'm, I sprint down with the rest of the people from my flight to make the next one. We're in this connections line, which has no one in it and just one border security guard. And he's supposed to like let us through quickly. And we come up to him and he, he said, what are you doing here? And I'm like, oh, I'm... Going to Saskatoon to meet a friend. Where'd you meet this friend? On the internet. You met him on the internet? Yeah, I know this sounds really weird, but so I'm like, I'm going to his parish. I'm a Catholic. Oh, okay. Go over there. And he made me go into the long line. No way. So now, yeah, and it's not moving at all. So now I finally get to the front of the long line. Meanwhile, I got like 15 minutes before my flight. Oh, no. Wow. And I'm waiting and waiting. And then I finally get, and they interview me. And they ask me the exact same questions. And I tell them the exact same answer. Right. And the guy goes, okay, here you go. And he puts a big red X on my little card. And I go and I get my luggage. I got away from my luggage. It's taking forever. I got two minutes before my flight boards. Oh so I gosh. run through, and I'm leaving the security line to go back into the connecting flight area. And the guy goes, up. Oh, you got a red X. Go down there. And I have to go to secondary security. Oh, no. What? This is crazy. Yeah. And so now I'm walking down a dark, dirty hallway. <laughs> I'm going into this room. And it is. It, it was crazy. So I go in there. And I'm waiting and waiting and waiting. My flight is boarding. My flight is boarding. My flight is boarding. And then I finally get called. And I walk over to this guy. And the guy asks me, like, where am I going? What am I doing? And he's Googling it. Yeah. And he's researching all That's the stuff. That's happened to me before, yep. Yeah, and he's like, oh, yeah, here you go. You're, you're Clark. Oh, yeah, Clark. Yeah, out there in Saskatoon. Okay, blah, blah, blah. Whoa. He's like, why are you there? And I'm like, well, because I'm a Roman Catholic. Uh, we have the same job. What's your job? I'm the director of evangelization. And he stopped and he looked at me and he goes, I'm a Christian. Have a good day, sir. Uh, oh. <laughs> and he you're like, too late. Stuff. Yeah, and I look <laughs> at him and I said, my flight just left. And he goes, oh, sorry about that. That happens. Did it really so, happen? Did yeah, that really your flight left? Yeah. And so uh, I missed my whole talk that night, but thankfully <gasps> this wonderful woman named uh, Leah filled in for me, and she's a Theology of the Body speaker. She has a couple books that are out, um, and she came and gave a talk. She saw my they, – they reached out to her, and uh, I do a talk on how to – basically how to repent, which is like my parish mission. And so she did a talk on the Theology of the Body's view of like shame, good and bad shame and the cross and all that stuff. And uh, it was it was it was very well received, uh, so that's what I did for the first because uh, I didn't get in till ten o'clock that night. Eventually, wow, wow, it was nuts. It was nuts. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Uh, so I, this I is this is after. the huh? I wonder what they were after. I think they were after the fact that am I there professionally making oh, cash money? Yeah. Because I heard a Catholic speaker, so it's very nebulous, good folks who are listening. Like, there are people who are like, yeah, I'm going to do a parish mission up in Canada. And then they're like, oh, okay, whatever. Um, but then I had a friend, I can't remember exactly who it was, who was doing the same thing I was doing, but they flew into a different uh, province, and they were like, you're doing work here? Are you? Have you filled out the tax forms? Blah, blah, blah. And they sent them home. Wow, that yeah. is crazy. They didn't let them leave the airport because they're like, you're here to illegally do work. 
Wow. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? I'm working for the church. It's like, you're making money. Go away. So, wow. Ew. Yeah. So, so I never know how to treat this situation because I've worked with four different dioceses now in four different provinces, and they're all slightly different. <laughs> so I'm right. just like, I'm going to see a friend, and I'm Scary. going to his parish. <laughs> yeah, which was all true. You're lying, definitely. Uh, so cool. So today, I, I think I'm, I'm kind of surprised that we haven't talked about this yet, but like, or maybe we have, but I don't think we have, but we got an email, and what we're going to talk about today is like how evangelization normally fails, like the normal pitfalls of evangelization. So I'm, I'm going to read the email just so that we have some context here. It says, Dear Gomer and Dave, uh, love the last episode on starting an evangelization commission at a parish, but how should one approach a parish that already has an evangelization commission, but that commission is either not producing any fruit or at least appears to not be producing any fruit? So uh, we can stop there with the email because I think that right there is enough for us to talk about during this episode that this is this is probably the more common case, right? That there is a very active parish. They have a, an evangelization commission. But in all actuality, if you're looking for the fruit of evangelization, they're not producing. And and I think that's probably the case for most, most places. Don't you think, Gomer? Yeah. 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 Uh, at least for now, it's the case. I mean, some places are on their way. But I think what we're dealing with right now is we're still in that uh, – in that mode where people don't know how to evangelize and they don't even really know what it means, what it looks like when you do evangelize. So I think people are kind of running around like a chicken with their head cut off doing, doing activities feverishly, right? As much as they can thinking that that will, that, that qualifies as evangelization. And I allowed their, their efforts. Uh, and I understand this, but I, you know, recently, uh, again, going back to Marcel Lejeune, who has this, you know, the Catholic missionary disciples blog, he talks about all the time, like, look, if, if you, if you're going to judge evangelization efforts, you got to judge sacraments, uh, confession lines, mass attendance. And most of all, after you've been at this a while, adult baptisms, are there adult baptisms happening at your parish? How do you, that's how you're going to gauge these things. And I do think he's true. I mean, now, adult baptisms, in my opinion, doesn't come until later on in the process. You're, there's a lot of groundwork you're going to have to lay before you're starting to get a lot of adult baptisms. Uh, and it could be years and years. But uh, so there's other you know, other places we look. But let's talk a little bit today, Gomer, about the common pitfalls that we run into when it comes to parish and personal evangelization, the, the, co the most common ways that we fail. Okay. I like it. It's all you, bitch. <laughs> All right, I'm going to go with number one that I kind of hinted at, and that is uh, the basic, uh, you know, filling up the schedule. You know, I think that that's the most common yeah. pitfall for parish evangelization, that we think if we fill up the schedule, that means people will be evangelized. Uh, and we've talked about this before. Really active parishes are alive. They feel good to be at. Uh, it creates a real camaraderie with people. They kind of have almost in a certain sense circled the wagons and are like, you know, really ready to go out. But my my observation is that in most cases, what that does is it just serves to feed good Catholics. It doesn't necessarily reach out to anyone who's um, uh, salvation vulnerable, if you will. I just coined that phrase there. You can you can quote me. You can quote <laughs> me if you want. Uh, and bring them in because, you know, for instance, like we have a close parish here. 
uh, and I and I pick on them all the time, right? I call them the blender. Okay, right? They put a lot of good Catholic events into a blender, then they pour that blender out, and they think that that means a person is evangelized, right? That 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 outcomes an evangelized person. I don't think that's the case. What happens is they end up drawing people from all over who are looking to be fed. And those people are probably already very evangelized. Now, is that a necessary thing? Of course, you want to feed the people who are the low-hanging fruit. But at some point, you got to make the transition to sending those people out as well. Um, so I think that the most common factor with parish evangelization uh, falls into this idea of like feverishly filling up the, ca the calendar, trying to serve every different population. And, uh, and really not having a clear plan on how that translates into making disciples. Yeah, and it's so dangerous when you think about it because um, you end up investing all your time, energy, and resources serving a group, number one, that is probably fairly good. You know, you'll have people on a spectrum of like, even though they're committed, they are clueless. And so every educational experience is something that lights their hearts up. And then you have people who, on the other side of the spectrum, are spectators. People who just come and consume, Con yeah, the religious consumers. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, and so the danger with the consumer is that they feel like they're doing something when they're not. When in fact, I mean, the devil is pleased with us learning about our faith as long as it doesn't mean self-sacrificial generosity and loving my neighbor as myself and having a strong prayer life and all that stuff. So I would say, um, so yeah, so that's an absolute danger. Um, another pitfall when it comes to parish, well, let me just say when it comes to individual, um, individual evangelization is very specifically, this is, this is the tendency of not being patient to let it be the person's timing or the Lord's timing, but making it your timing. Um, and what I mean by that is, especially for older people who have adult children who have left the faith, um, and maybe they're about to get married, there's some life event that triggers the anxiety, right? Because you want them to get married in the church, but they're going to get married on a beach in Hawaii or, you know, whatever, that there is this huge urgency. And there is an urgency in evangelization, absolutely. But there then becomes a um, an impatience, and typically that impatience will lead us to trying to be the savior, which just means we lecture more. Um, and then we become very off-putting. We don't even realize that we then become the obstacle to their evangelization and to their saying yes to Christ because it has to be on our timetable. And as the great American prophet, the rapper DMX said in the voice of God, <laughs> I may not come when you want, but yo, I'm always on time. <laughs> those words <laughs> those words really are important. It's on God's time. And so I, when I have people in my inclusion class, which is Protestants Becoming Catholic, I tell them uh, it's between you and God, not between you and me. I just supply the, the, the kind of like the content for you to make an informed decision, but I'm not going to pressure you into that decision. And so right there at the core of it, I try to take away the anxiety that I'm trying to force them. Whenever I meet with teens who are atheists, but they're in the confirmation program, I always tell them, listen, I'm not here to like shove Catholicism down your throat. And if you leave my office convinced of your atheism, then okay. Like I can't, uh, my, 
my uh, interaction with you might sow a seed, and I have to be okay with that. I have to be okay that God might use me just to sow a seed or just to water or just to spread some manure around, which is what I'm really good at. God might use me for those things, but someone else might be the one who actually harvests, right? Who actually reaps what I've helped sow. And that's okay, right? That's okay. Um, but what ends up, so what I try to do is I remove the anxiety because when we approach it as it's our timetable, that pushes us to be the savior. Um, usually that means we lecture, we try to micromanage their conversion and all this stuff. And it means in the individual, they're defensive, so they can't give a hearing. They can't do that stage of openness or trust because they're defensive. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I I, I think, you know, uh, another thing that I've been thinking about lately, and this is like my own downfall, I'm starting to realize, is accepting things for, uh, how can I say this? Accepting signs of evangelization that aren't actually signs of evangelization, you know? Yeah. And I think this is like probably the worst. I think priests are usually the worst at this, that they look at people who like live at the parish and they consider them like, well, oh, those people are saints, which it's very possible that person is. But what happens when you do that is you really do that person a disservice, right? Because what you're saying is like, okay, we've got that one. We're not going to work with them. Let's focus on the other people. And you never really ask for their heart. You know, and I think that that has become like a real problem of mine and particularly in the parishes that I'm at right now. I was talking with my my priest friend who, you know, Father Joe Friedi, Right. And I was saying, like, you know, one of my fears is that we have become almost like too friendly with people to the point where we're afraid now to like call them to conversion. And we just immediately label them as like, oh, they're such a good man, such a good guy, such a good this, such a good that. And usually that means service, right? Um, and yeah. like, what my worry is like that, that. What if we leave this parish? What if I? What if I leave or die or whatever? And I've never gave that person a chance to like be called to true repentance. So I think that's like a right. big problem, right? Is that we never like we stop at an air we stop at a level of transformation that really isn't sufficient um and what we mean is in that sense what we're saying is like we want parish to be the center of your life or service to be the center of your life or something like that to be this or the priest to be the center of your life and we take that as being evangelized but that's really not the case right every person should have Jesus Christ as the, as the Lord and center of their life and should manifest that through their relationship with the church and with the priest and all those things. Uh, but but it's easy for us to just kind of stop there. And, and I think that's like probably a big pitfall that we never call the real close to us to an actual conversion. Ooh, I like that. Closeness. Proximity to the altar does not always mean proximity to the ha- sacred heart no. of Jesus. No, in fact, yeah. Right. right. In fact, yeah. it can be the opposite, yeah. right? Don't you think? I. Yeah. Well, I yeah, because in, in my parish mission that I do, um, <laughs> the only thing I have that's a can talk is my parish mission. But um, in in what I do is addressing the three different ways that we relate. If we think God is disappointed with us, uh, we're a polite avoider, right? Right. Like we do the things to be polite, but that's it. We're a hostile rejector. If you don't want me, fine. I don't right. want you. Or we're a good enough earner. 
and the yeah, good enough earner could be the daily mass right. goer, right? But it's a mercenary view of the faith. And when you have a mercenary view, I'm going to do this so that I get that. And it, it lies about God because it doesn't admit that God is a father who loves me and sent his son to, to die for me and to restore me into a right relationship with him. Instead, it says I. It's the onus is on me to be good enough for God. Right. But typically it reveals that I want to be good enough for God so that I get something in this life. And the mercenary mindset has to be broken by a sonship mindset or a daughterhood mindset, which is God loves me so much that he sent his son so that I can become his son in Christ. And that tends to break us of our legalism because it's not a legalism. It's my father. Right. And and <laughs> the problem is the most legalistic people can look like the most devout people, but they're not. They're not following the great commandment. They're following all the tiny commandments out of fear or out of trying to manipulate the deity. Right. They don't love the Lord their God with all their mind, heart, soul, and strength and their neighbor as their self. They're feverishly working. There's that word feverish. They're feverishly working in order to earn the love of God. And that is, that is such a, uh, that is a lie about the very heart of our Heavenly right. Father. And I confront that all the time. That is the whole point of my parish mission. It's to call baby boomers, Gen Xers, and um, millennials to a realization that we have been lying about God in the Catholic Church for far too long. Um, and so I would go right from that into pitfall uh, number four is we think that, and, and you're going to get annoyed at this, people, because we have said this a trillion times, but it constantly manifests itself. We think that evangelization is primarily based on the things we do rather than the prayers we pray. And I want you to understand something, and I, I want it to like seep into your brain deeply. And this is something that the contemplative nature of the Catholic Church understands and the charismatic intercessory nature of the Catholic Church understands, but so often all of us in the middle totally forget is that renewal, revival, whatever word you want to use, is always done through people, through disciples who have a white-hot right. faith. It is not primarily done through people who have a sick curriculum, <laughs> right? It's not even primarily done through priests who can preach an amazing sermon or educators who can spit out the kerygma, you know, you know, even in their sleep. It is done through people who come together, whose sole focus is the love of Jesus Christ manifested in the Holy Spirit. It is people who are first resting in God and then become restless for their neighbor and their neighbor's salvation. We want to, uh, to script out the movement of the Spirit, but the Spirit is the wind who blows where he will. Right, You can't script out the Spirit. You and I have to fall on our knees. Our neighbor will never convert unless you and I will fall on our knees. Otherwise, Catholicism is an ideology. It's just another ism like communism and socialism and capitalism and Catholicism. It's just another ism. But if it is an actual relating to the God of the universe, then you and I need to be crying out to him to send down his holy spirit awesome awesome uh the next one is 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 much more practical than what we've been talking about so far and that is this you you have got to have a recognized path 
of a place where you're trying to make disciples. So literally, you need to have some kind of a graph that says, are you a disciple? Yes. Okay. Here's where you go. Are you not a disciple? No. Okay. Here's where you go. Like start here. Okay. Um, because like people need to understand this. People want to be disciples of Jesus Christ, right? Especially if you're preaching the kerygma, so many people, I promise you, if you're preaching the kerygma and you don't have a defined path of discipleship, uh, so many people are frustrated at your parish. Now, this is highly practical, right? This is almost the opposite of what Gomer was saying. You can't do this without what Gomer was saying, but you also have to do this, right? You ha There has to be a way in your parish that someone who doesn't know Jesus Christ comes to know him, follow him, serve him, uh, be with him, and, and it should be really highly recognizable to everyone in the parish. Uh, some people use series. Some people use... Uh, the, the Catholic Christian outreach, uh, small group books, some people use these things. Whatever you use, what you have to understand is it's got to be based on prayer and it's got to be highly visible to the parish or to the people that you're trying to serve. Um, people shouldn't have to find a, a school of how to follow Jesus, right? And of course, a lot of it happens organically. But what we do in these in these schools is we try to help that along, help that person along, and, and be ready for when they have questions and and have have plenty of opportunity both for group events, small group events, but then also even one on one support and and question answering. So have a highly visible uh, path of discipleship. And and I, I realize that that's a big problem for me. It's clear to me that what I'm doing in my parish is creating disciples, right? With 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 the different things that I put on. But I don't think anyone else knows that. I don't think anyone else sees that. And I certainly don't think yeah. like when someone hears like a, a rousing homily uh, that they're like, oh, I, I I have to know more. I should go to Dave's stuff, you know? So it's it's really difficult. So Yeah, and it's especially difficult in suburban parishes in America where there is an emphasis on education. Um, right. So right. In, in my own parish, so just to be honest with y'all, instead of lying like I usually do, um, <laughs> the uh, the highly visible discipleship track is a years in the making process for right. us. Right. And it's it's difficult for us because um, for everyone, many, really, for everyone. Huh? Oh, it yeah. should be. Yeah, it should be long. Right. Well, you know, if there are a lot of Catholic parishes who don't have they have very little for adults. You know, they might have um, RCIA that anyone can come to or something like that. Right. And within that context, uh, starting a discipleship track can be just as easy as starting a thing called, hey, let's talk about Christ, intro to Christ, intro to Christianity, whatever it might be. Um, but for us, we have uh, literally dozens of adult faith formation programs. And they grew up because in a vacuum of having a discipleship track, having leadership, you know, all this stuff 10 years ago, which no one was talking about this stuff, you know, 10, 12 years ago, uh, or I should say very few. There, all these programs grew up and you have the standard thing. Father, I want a Bible study. Okay, you lead the Bible study, we'll give you the classroom. Father, I want a this. Okay, you lead that, I'll give you a classroom. And so there was a shotgun approach for things that were deeply meaningful for individuals becomes their thing at the parish outside of mass and so you just have people kind of staying in the same thing but when an average parishioner opens the bulletin there are 30 different things 
So it's like, well, which one is the beginning right. thing? Right, right. Yeah, and so that's my biggest problem is I said we don't have a clear path for people. I mean, we are offering a ton of stuff, but we don't have a clear path for someone who knows nothing about their faith or someone who's a visitor and just saying, hey, I, I want to know more about Catholicism. You know, I'm hearing all this stuff on the news, you know, all this stuff. Why are you still Catholic in the light of scandal and blah, blah, blah? We desire them to come to the church, but we have... If they were to open a bulletin, I don't think they would know where to start. We try to reorganize so that they'd be like, oh, do you need community? Well, here's our community things. Do you need, do you want to learn about scripture? Here's our scripture things. Do you want to take a class on, you know, something, some specific aspect about Catholicism? Or do you want to learn how to pray, right? Do you want to do a school of prayer? Right. And they just, it, it's, it's, it's just rough. So yeah. you have people who are like, I want to do a Bible study. Well, here's literally nine Bible studies we offer every week. Uh, no, thank you. <laughs> right. And then out they go. So, yeah. So that, that is what you just said is super, super true. Yeah. And I think, I guess now, now you're bringing up like even more for me is that we, so like in my cycle that we run, Kerygma, Catechesis and Conquer, we focus, we obsess about the transitions. So like people naturally put them, like you said, they naturally put themselves into different series and or different places like you know one person loves to learn apologetics or they want to learn about prayer or something like that so our biggest job is to convince that person they need to go back they need to also experience the charisma aspect they also need and then the charisma person who loves like the kind of candy events or the easier the shallow end events right we need to convince them to get into the more catechesis events, right? These are the people who say, yeah. like, I only need Jesus. I don't need religion, right? Uh, and then finally, like, you know, pushing all of them out of the nest and getting them into the conquer phase. And, and right, they'll never leave the catechesis and conquer phase ever, yeah. right? Right. And in a certain sense, you never leave the charisma phase. I mean, I, I know I haven't, and I don't think I ever will, you know? So it's, it's, just, it's just a continual deepening of a, a wholeness of our faith there. So... Um, you know, I, I guess I guess what I'd finally say is um, thinking about this. One of the most common pitfalls is just convincing everyone to speak the same language about this stuff. Like, yeah. and, and what I mean, what I mean is like, it's it's really difficult. I think, and, and Gomer will attest to this. He's in a big parish. I'm in a big for for our diocese parish. It's really hard when you're the only one talking the language and talking about the goal and the solution to problems and the solution to all of this. It, that is going to be one of the biggest pitfalls is that evangelization isn't reflected at every aspect of the parish's life. Okay, So, uh, you know, we have different goals. You have liturgy goals. You have business goals. You have groundskeeping goals. You have you know, facilities goals, you have this goal, this goal, this goal, this goal, right? All of us should be talking the same language, and that language is how to make disciples. And I think that people see this that, like, and, and then they kind of put themselves in camps. Like, you kind of, like, reminded of, like, when Paul says, well, I belong to Peter, I belong to Paul, I belong to James, right? Uh, it's kind of like that. Like, people, like, are like my people. Those are my people. And I even talk about them that way, like, with the... Yeah. With the priests, they'll say, like, well, how can we reach this person? I say, oh, those are my people. Uh, don't worry. I'll get them, right? Or or those are your people. or those that, that shouldn't be the case, right? We should all be united into one goal, and everything we do at the parish should really uh, reflect that um, and not just kind of be 
there shouldn't be any silos at this parish, you know? Yeah, so <clears throat> this is the insight that I love of Evangelii Gaudium by Pope Francis. Yeah. Every calendar, schedule, all of it needs to be reshaped by the the desire to evangelize. Right, all of it. Everything we do. Everything. Why, why do you have the Boy Scouts at your parish? Why, why do you have any neighborhood organizations that do not explicitly proclaim Jesus? And then your answer might be, well, you know, they needed a space. You know, we want to be good neighbors. Okay, okay, good. By blessing your neighbors, you can be a witness to Christ. Right. So do you want to become a church in the neighborhoods that, that's indispensable? Because if you're another – Dave, how many Catholic churches got shut down when you guys uh, – what do you call them? You know. Well, they're in the they're in the midst of getting shut down. We're we're going from two hundred and four down to sixty four. I think two hundred and four down to sixty four. Right. Right. So just imagine this. Right. How many parishes are disappearing from a neighborhood, and in six months after that parish is shut down, people are going to be like, "What was that building? Was that like a library or something?" Right. Like, there's a reason why you do social. Right events at your place because you want to have an impact on your community but at the same time you have to view that as an evangelizing opportunity right. not it just to hand to them all a track but to <laughs> or attract um but to walk out and and let them see you be visible as the priest be visible as a director of evangelization or as lay people who care about this stuff right why do you do every schedule look at your bulletin and say how does my bulletin evangelize Right. How does my bulletin equip people to immerse themselves into the person of Jesus Christ and to bring others into that immersion? How, how, how? Don't just sit there and be like, well, we already published it. Well, how does my social media feed do that? How? Do, and it doesn't have to have the kerygma, but it has to support the proposal of the kerygma. Right. How do you do anything at your parish? Is it for the glory of Christ and evangelization and bringing the mission of God's love into people's lives? Or... Is it just because you're super busy and you got to keep the lights on and you don't want to have another argument? I have been there. I have no problems right. with you doing that as right. a as a strategy to build up awareness, right? So some of us, we just got to let things happen while we build up what Dave was talking about, speaking the language of discipleship and evangelization. And while that is taking root, it might take three or four or five years for that to take root. I can test it does take that long at my church that you can let these other things go around until they catch the vision. But right. when they begin to catch the vision, you have to press the issue. Everything right. must be reshaped for this. Everything. Your office hours for your staff, if you're, the, if you're the pastor or the parish administrator, your office hours need to reflect that for your employees. Right. If you have a terrible secretary at the front desk who is destroying your ability to love souls because she is incredibly angry, she needs to be fired for the sake of your parishioners. She needs to be fired for the, or number one, she needs to have you talk to them and love them and try to work through this and be honest with them. But I got an email from someone who's in tears because of the way the parish secretary treats her as the other paid employee and how the priest says, well, I'm not going to do anything because she's been here for 20 years. You know, she's got issues and blah, blah, blah. And I'm not going to do it. And it's like, no, no, no. You're not having the tough conversation because you don't want to have, you don't want to feel bad. You're sacrificing your entire parish for that. Right. And the whole idea is like, how can every step of what we do, right? How can every step proclaim Jesus? Everything. 
so so I I know I said it was going to be the last one, but we forgot one major one that we oh, have no. to talk about, like an elephant in the room. That's probably been the elephant in the room since Vatican II, and probably everyone will like label me a tratty after this. But uh, <laughs> I I assure you, I'm far from that. Um, but that is using the mass to evangelize um, in in a wrong way. Okay, so I I I don't know if you have this down in Houston, but like here. It seems like everyone uses the mass as like the silver bullet of evangelization. Uh-huh. So everyone, for instance, everyone does. Okay, so so it's everywhere then. So so for instance, like I'll give you an example. I, I get an email once a week from a guy who says, if you had the sports teams of the kids sponsor the masses, and then the kids from that sports team would dress in their uniforms. They would do the readings. They would be the ushers. They would be. Then everyone says like, wow, that's so great that you're doing this. And they're going to have a good experience of mass and they're going to want to come back. I, I, I really I don't want to be rude, but that is the most asinine thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Like there is no chance that that is going to work with evangelization. And, and to be honest with you, that's a ridiculous example. But let's go to the less ridiculous example where you have a friend and you say, oh, I'd like to invite them to mass. Right. It's just usually not a good idea. Uh, for most part, they're they're ex-Catholics, and they remember what it was like to go to Mass. And for the most part, Mass hasn't changed for them, right? They still go back. There's still unhappy people sitting in the same seats. There's still usually, you know, oftentimes music that's just not what they're looking for, preaching that's just so-so, all this kind of stuff. And they're like, oh, yeah, I remember this, and it didn't change my life before, and it's not going to change my life now. you got to have a shallow end, right? The Mass takes a certain amount of maturity to be appreciated. So you can't just use the mass for evangelization. And it happens all the time. This is why we obsess about lay ministers at the mass. This is why we want to have everyone involved in some special way. This is why at a school mass, if you don't have enough positions like altar servers and readers, then you have someone like carry up a paper mache heart or something like that (laughs) because they're teaching them that's how you participate in mass. That it's just not. And if you haven't given us a rating yet on, on iTunes or whatever podcast app you use, please do so. We'll see you in a few moments. That is that is what the liturgy of the mass is meant to be. Right. It's not meant to be how we evangelize. Now, liturgies no. can evangelize. Right. Because it is the sovereign grace of Christ operating right. the, through the, his the Easter vigil. The Easter yeah. vigil is the perfect example. It's the yeah. most evangelical thing you could possibly, you know, it's amazing. Yeah, but yeah. at the same time, the reason why we have that impulse is because and all these renewal books and change your parish books, they all do this is they know that 98% of the people who come to your church in any given week are also are going to be there at mass. And right. so that's the opportunity to do everything. Right. And I'm going to tell you, it's not at all. No. But Catholics have this mentality that to be a good Catholic means to go to mass every week. And I'm going to tell you, please review, <laughs> please review pitfall number uh, three, which is confusing closeness to the parish's altar with closeness to Jesus. Yeah. Right. The idea is, I mean, there are numerous avenues to draw people in. Some people are converted by the liturgy. The first time they fall on their knees, like it changes their life. Wonderful. That's for the glory of God. Right. Don't turn the Mass into something the Mass is not. Right. The Mass is liturgical, sacramental. Don't try to, sh- in fact, 
I think the mass becomes de-evangelizing. It does. When you try to shove a million things into it. Well, first let's welcome, and let's give your neighbor a handshake, and then let's uh, you know invite them over for brunch. Introduce your a, name before, if yeah. you're a lector. I'm have, Gomer, yeah. and I'm reading the first reading. It's like, what? Who oh, cares? Do not do this. The right. literate priests, listen to me. I know, I know, I know, I know. The exceptions in the Roman Rite have become the norm. And they shouldn't because it is ruining people's ability to enter into worship. Vague sentimentality is crippling Catholicism. Yeah. People need to encounter the transcendent and imminent God. Right. right? Entering into liturgical worship does both. But what we do is we try to take Jesus Christ off the cross and make him your buddy sitting next to you in the pew. Yeah. And I'm I'm not advocating for the <laughs> for the extraordinary form or yes, any of that stuff. Tratty. Tratty. <laughs> but what I am saying is when we when the laity have never heard the Roman canon, which is the traditional Eucharistic prayer, and we only choose prayers because they're shorter, when um people experience um like just the other day I'm going through the anointing of the sick rite, how to do it, and there's three options. Option one, in the middle of mass, and a mass for the sick or a mass for the dying. Option two, a liturgy of the word that includes a communion rite, so almost a full mass, like a 90% mass. You just don't have the liturgy of the Eucharist, but you still have communion. And then option number four, the abbreviated rite to be done to hospitals and other institutions. Well, I have found that there are literally every church in America <laughs> who does the abbreviated rite in church. You know, they don't even right. do it in the context of a mass because it's too much right. work and it's too this. So the extreme exception becomes the norm. Right. And when it comes to liturgy, people don't realize the way it evangelizes is by being itself. Yeah. If people are walking around and you're forcing introverts to shake hands and hold hands during the Our Father and all of these things, when you force introverts to do that, you alienate them. And someone, everyone is an introvert when they're a stranger. And so right. if, if this is them coming to Mass, all of a sudden they're like, oh, maybe. You know, there are some people who would say like, oh, wow, it's so warm, inviting, and welcoming. Well, that's on you shaping right. the people in the pew. Because you can have a nice guy that walks you to your car and have a jerk next to you in the pew. you got to change the person in the pew's heart or else it right. looks fake. Man, he, look at that he, soapbox. I know, I know. It's, I got so fired up because I do get annoyed by this. But, again, you just have to have faith. Uh, I don't remember the document. It was one of John Paul II's last documents when he talks about like like we were made for this. We were made for the liturgical sacrifice of the mass. Yeah. And you have to have faith in that. Like trust us. It takes a little bit of maturity to appreciate it, but once they appreciate it, that's when you become a saint school. So, uh I I hope that these have helped, you know, and I hope that you guys can recognize a lot of the common pitfalls and and most of these can be applied to personal evangelization as well. Um, in fact, all of them can, uh, you know, we, we're so happy to be part of Ascension press and they're going to give you a a little bit of a commercial break here. I hope you'll go to ascensionpress.com and check, take a look at everything they offer. They have such awesome stuff. You could become an extremely educated Catholic like Gomer by just by using Ascension press product. And if you haven't given us a rating yet on, on iTunes or whatever podcast app you use, please do so. We'll see you in a few moments.
Hi, this is Father Mike Schmitz, and if you're looking for a way to learn more about your Catholic faith, I invite you to check out the Ascension Presents YouTube channel. You're going to find tons of free videos featuring Catholic presenters like Matt Frad, Leah Darrow, Jackie and Bobby Angel, and Emily Wilson. Go to youtube.com slash ascensionpresents. That's youtube.com slash ascensionpresents. And if you like what you see, please share and subscribe. And we are back to Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic evangelization and discipleship podcast. We should we should have some more episodes on discipleship, Gomer. Like, absolutely, absolutely. That'd be, that, that'd be fun to like do something on prayer, even, stuff like, something like yeah, that. Yeah, and, you know? and morality. We have a wonderful message from someone who was asking us about they confront people based on moral issues. They're not confront, but moral issues are a big part of their yeah. Right. Their job and how do they if they're starting with the moral stuff and not with the charisma how do they right. do that and I think I mean that's my heart that's what I love yeah. to do so right yeah yeah we should definitely do some of that but uh, we hope that you listen every week and that you're uh, that it's really helping you to evangelize we get a lot of emails saying that people are being supported so we're happy to do that we're all about creating an army of evangelists so again if you ever have any need to contact us feel free it's eksb at ascensionpress.com that's eksb at ascensionpress.com. And uh, yeah, so every week we give you five practical takeaways. Some people say it's their favorite part of the episode and some people say it is the bane of their existence because they feel like they need to do them. So let's let's blast into these. So number one, uh, I want you to take a look at the calendar at your parish, okay? And uh, especially if you're, you know, if you're in a leadership position, I want you to take a look at that calendar and I want you to see, like, are you just filling it up with great Catholic events? Like, what is your goal? Is your goal evangelization? Then look at your calendar and make sure that there is a very clear strategic uh, layout of what you're trying to do there. Now, let's say you're not in a leadership role. Let's say you are just a personal evangelizer and you want to make sure that your goals are, are correct, okay? I want you to look at what you do in evangelization. Do you just fill that person's life with every video you see on YouTube, every book that you read that affected you, every devotion that you know think could help them? Are you just filling their life, or do you have some kind of a plan here? Is it going to go from shallow end to deeper end? Uh, is it going to involve repentance? All these things. I want you to look at that and make sure that you have an actual strategy and that your calendar or your your track kind of affects that strategy. Absolutely. Number two, examine your own conscience about how you might be slipping in your timetable in place of God's and do some honest repenting for that. Maybe it's leading you to a little bit more anxiety over the conversion of someone or whatever it might be, right? This is not between you and them. It's between them and God. Remember DMX. I may not come when you want, but yo, I'm always on time. <laughs> I love it. This is the best podcast ever. ever. Uh, number three, number three. We talked about people who like got confusing evangelization with just the fact that someone's active at their parish, right? Uh, I want you to take a look at your at your life, right, and ask yourself who you are. Are you the person who's super active at par at your parish? Are you the par person who doesn't maybe feel that great of a connection to the parish? You're more of a contemplative. You you spend a lot of time in prayer. You spend a lot of time with Jesus, but you don't do a lot for the parish. What I want you to do is, depending on which one you are, if you're active in the parish, I want you to take an hour of a week of the week that you would normally be working at the parish, cleaning the sacristy, doing something like that, and I want you to dedicate it to prayer. If you're the contemplative person, you can't really take away your prayer time. I'm not going to tell you to do that because I'll go to hell. But 
add in an hour a week or something like that. Add in something, a half hour, and get involved with your parish, right? Get that connection with your parish so that your relationship with God involves your parish community. Number four, personal evangelization. This isn't for DREs. This is for everyone listening. Do you have a plan, right? We talk about a discipleship track. Do you have a plan or an understanding about how to move people deeper into the kerygma, into catechesis, into all of that, into themselves being equipped for mission, right? Do you have a plan to lead people into fuller forms of discipleship as you're one-on-one with people, okay? Think about that as an individual, not just as a parish. Awesome. And finally, number five, if you wouldn't mind, be so bold as to share this podcast with someone who you haven't shared it with. Maybe you're a DRE and you want to share it with your teachers. Maybe you're uh, just someone who's interested in personal evangelization. Share it with your friends who are also there. Uh, We're just asking you to spread the news of Every Knee Shall Bow. And I think if it's blessed you, you probably have no problem with that at all. We would love it if you'd share uh, our podcast with yeah, others. Sharing our podcast is the highest compliment you can give us. And uh, you don't want to find out what happens if you don't share the podcast and you have to meet Dave the Skull Crusher Van Vickle. So, uh, <laughs> so, so uh, Mike, that's Dave. Please, please, please email us at eksb at ascensionpress.com and we will see you next week. God bless y'all.